0: Hi, my name is Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas, and I'm the minister at Richmond Uniting Church. And you're welcome here. You're welcome if you're part of Richmond Uniting Church, or if you connect with us occasionally, or if this is the first time you've joined us. And you're welcome here today if you're full of faith, or you're full of doubt, or you're exploring issues of faith. As we say each week as we gather in worship at Richmond Uniting, you're welcome here, please. Participate as much or as little as you feel able. As we gather in this new form of worship, in this audio worship style, just a a couple of points of information. There are pauses in this worship. And it's not because I've lost my place. There are pauses in this worship at different points so that you have space and I have space for prayer for becoming more present to the one who's already present to us. At different points there'll be an invitation to pause and discuss or reflect further on what we've been exploring or to play a piece of music, either one suggested by me or something else that's come to your heart. And as we begin this worship you might like to take a moment to light a candle Or to create a prayer space. It might be with a flower on the table or a beautiful image that speaks to you of the divine. You might want to get a Bible handy or you can listen along to readings as we come to them. But wherever you are, wherever you're listening and worshipping, I invite us all to take a moment to arrive to take some deeper breaths and to slow down our breathing breathing in we might like to imagine breathing in God's love And breathing out, we might like to imagine God's love filling the space where we are. Breathing in. And breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. If you find that as you settle into the stillness, you notice that your body is aching in a particular place or holding tension, just take a moment to relax that space. You may like to invite God's energy into that part of your body for peace. Let's pray. Holy mystery, holy wisdom, holy flame, blessed Trinity, weaver of joy, birther of love, source of our meaning, we are still before you. In Jesus, the crucified and risen one, we encounter the shape of your heart as you teach and heal, live and die in radical compassion. And as you disclose the truth that your life is stronger than all our hate and deathliness. We are still before you. In spirit, you are here with each one of us, scattered as we are, now gathering us together. Longing to grow us up into the fullness of your grace and truth, your peace and joy. We are still before you. Holy mystery, holy wisdom, holy flame, we gather to you and we praise you amen as we gather in worship we honor the people of the Kulin nation the Wurundjeri people where we are worshipping and elders and ancestors around our globe we honor elders past and present and emerging And we commit ourselves to God's yearning for justice and reconciliation, longing for that day. We're going to continue in worship together by leaning into the psalm, psalm 16. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, There is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'd like to invite us to lean into 1 Peter. We're going to be exploring this text of 1 Peter in our worship today, but let's just hear a little of it first. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, becoming more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you're receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our gospel reading all around the world this Sunday, this second Sunday in Easter, is leaning into what happens next after the risen Jesus appears to Mary. John chapter 20 verses 19 to 31 and in this account we hear about two different occasions in which the risen Jesus appears to the male disciples and within this we hear about Thomas and you'll note as you hear that there's no reference to him being called Doubting Thomas. He's not shamed in the text of the gospel at all for actually raising questions and I think it would be much fairer to characterize Thomas as faithful Thomas or courageous Thomas because instead of going along with the pressure of the crowd and saying, I believe you, because of their emphatic belief, even though it wasn't his own, Thomas has the courage to name his questions. He has the courage to refuse to go along, not just with the crowd, but with his own really close friends. And I think that takes so much courage to be able to do that, to have a different opinion to those who you're closest to. And Thomas does that. And Jesus responds directly to his questions. So let's lean in together and hear what happens next. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. For these words of faith and Jesus the Word, thanks be to God. We're going to explore some of the themes in these astonishing readings, but before we do, let's pray. Precious God, please guide my words and guide all of our listening and speaking and reflecting that we may hear your voice and your call to each one of us. And have the courage to respond as you call us to. Through Christ the living word we pray. Amen. Now the readings are all so amazing. We could spend time with each of them. But I really would like to invite us into 1 Peter today because we don't often get to spend time with this text, and it's a really fascinating text. So it's written by someone early. The letter is attributed to Peter the disciple. There's massive debates about who actually wrote it, but it is commonly thought to have been written in the first century. So this means that it's possibly written earlier than John's Gospel, for example, as well as other texts that became part of the canon in the New Testament. And at the very start of the text, it says that it's written to diverse Jesus communities, so not just to one person or one community, but these emerging embryonic scattered church communities. And here in the opening of the letter, the author, whether it's Peter or someone writing in Peter's name, we don't know, the author addresses those who have not seen Jesus in the flesh during Jesus' ministry. And people who have not witnessed the risen Jesus either, yet who, according to this author, are still nonetheless experiencing the presence of the risen Jesus. So This is really central to this letter and its claims. And so I just want to quote this part because I think it's so striking that we heard just before. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. So today I'd like to invite us to lean into these claims, especially about experience of God and about joy. So the first thing we need to be clear about is that this is not some random claim by this author that everything is awesome now because they're followers of Jesus. The author of this text is writing to these diverse early Jesus communities in a context in which there is increasing stress and persecution for claiming to be a follower of Jesus so in the first century towards the end of the first century more and more to be a Jesus follower means standing out not in a good way standing out and being accused of being a pagan a heathen this is one of the first claims made about Jesus followers they were claimed to be and targeted as pagans because they no longer went along with the beliefs of the state of the Roman state. They no longer would participate in the sacrifices to the various Greco-Roman local gods at the, all the temples that were dotted around the towns and villages. And so these Jesus followers are increasingly seen as strange, as, you know, not God-fearing, as in all the gods they believed in. And they were seen as a new cult. And new cults were not tolerated by the Roman Empire. And they were seen as an actual threat to the civil society. So I want us to try and get our heads around this because it can seem so strange to find out that Christians were called pagans. But in the cosmic worldview of this era, a really common understanding was that you needed to do all kinds of different sacrifices in the Greco-Roman plethora of gods to appease these gods. And if you didn't, if everyone didn't do their bit for the country... Make their sacrifices at the temples, there'd be consequences for everyone. If you upset these gods, there'd be payback for a whole city that gods could punish with destruction or fire or plague or war. So, this is not an understanding of the Jewish God, mother, father God uh, that Christianity grew out of. This is the Greco Roman plethora of gods, so many gods. And this is how you kept the peace by appeasing them and doing these temple sacrifices. And Jesus' followers wouldn't do them anymore. So when the author of Peter is writing, this situation is really starting to heat up for these first Jesus communities. We don't have any evidence that we're being actually targeted for state persecution, but in terms of the way in which neighbors might start to treat you or local authorities might treat you, that's starting to ramp up. There's increased suspicion and hassling of Jesus followers. As well as this, fights are increasing in the home of Jesus followers. Remember, most Jesus followers at least in the beginning, are Jewish. And they're going to be coming more and more at odds with the rest of their families and communities in claiming that Jesus, the one who had a state-sanctioned murder, is actually Messiah and that he's been raised. Like this is radical stuff to be claiming. And so families and communities are beginning to fracture within the Jewish community as well. So there's tension from the Greco-Roman context and there's tension internally as well. So this joy that's being spoken about in 1 Peter is not about the joy of everything is awesome if you become a Christian. It's not this notion of being blessed with prosperity as a Jesus follower. This is not some cult of believe in Jesus and get good outcomes here. I just have to say, if we dare to claim to be followers of Jesus, we cannot claim of prosperity gospel, this notion that's become popular in our own era, this idea that God wants to favour certain people with riches or status, this is spirituality twisted into an insurance policy. And it's the opposite of what Jesus is recorded as speaking about in the gospels. Instead, when Jesus speaks about wealth in the gospels, he talks about radical generosity, If you have money, if you have stuff, give it away. Give it and give it and give it away. This is what God's generosity is like and that's what we're called to. And if you're a leader, if you happen to have high status, well then your call is to serve the rest of the community. Become a servant to everyone else. This is the way of God revealed in Jesus. So anyone who begins to try and say becoming a follower of Jesus is about getting stuff or getting status has not read the gospel has not attended to the call of Jesus. So this is not what's going on in 1 Peter. And in utter contrast to those contemporary prosperity theologies, the author of 1 Peter is actually talking about an experience of inner joy, unspeakable joy in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of increased persecution, in the midst of conflict and hardship, probably having your name smeared that there's somehow the experience of joy is possible within that. And the author draws on this metaphor of gold being refined uh, in the fire to speak about this. So this experience of joy in 1 Peter is not about external outcomes but is about inner gifting from God. And it's a joy that is grounded in a wider concept of history so that it's not limited to what's happening immediately now. It's a joy that is a gift from God, and that's grounded in the conviction that while things may be bad now, ultimately, all will be well. To quote Julian of Norwich, "Ultimately, all will be well." God's compassion and mercy for all things, which is embodied in Jesus' teaching and feasting and healing and nonviolent dying and rising in forgiveness. Ultimately, this, God's compassion, will win the day. And according to the author of 1 Peter, it is the joy of Jesus, the Anointed One, which is being experienced now in communities, in Jesus' communities, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the persecution and struggle and family and community conflict. This is a radical claim. It's not a claim about denying the pain, but about holding the tension and saying, amidst the pain, we are experiencing an unspeakable joy, which is gift. I think right now, for those of us who claim the way of Jesus, as we and our global village are experiencing so much change and there is so much pain, this challenge is something we could do well to attend to. This question of joy. Because it's been so co-opted for different agendas, before expanding, I just need to underscore again, I'm not talking about prosperity theology And I'm not talking about a false spirituality that is about somehow pretending that we don't have pain. I'm not talking about positive self-help as though if we will ourselves to be happy, somehow then our problems will go away. I'm not talking about any of that. But I am talking about being open. Being open in our inner beings, in our inner world to the possibility that the divine longs for us to experience joy in the midst of what's going on in our lives and across our globe to be open to the possibility that the divine longs for us to experience to receive moments of joy that the holy one longs to gift us with joy joy that doesn't deny the pain but joy that is birthed by the one who enters into our pain in Jesus. The joy of Jesus who breathes peace into all our fear. As we heard in John's Gospel, that refrain of peace be with you when they are just terrified, terrified of what's happened to Jesus, terrified of what's going to happen to them. Jesus appears before them, And instead of yelling at them for betraying and leaving and hiding, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then pours out this forgiving love, breathing out spirit over all their failings and our failings as well. This word is of peace and of being set free. The kind of movement that can then create space for divine joy to emerge. The kind of joy that is not about denying pain, but that I suspect could sustain us and empower us. The kind of joy, gift of God that could sustain us and empower us as we seek to stand in solidarity with all those who are suffering. Divine joy that can nourish us as we advocate for justice and mercy at times when the lies from those in power are just overwhelming. And divine joy that can embolden us to name evil. Divine joy that quenches our deep inner thirst so that we're more able to live in generosity increasing layers of generosity so an experience of joy that is not just self-seeking but as a gift of the generous god whom we seek to follow who we worship that can then enable us to join in with god's work of loving and of showing light Joy as a gift of our beautiful, surprising God in the midst of the pain. Could be flickering moments, but indescribable joy as we lean into God's larger perspective that all will ultimately be well. So I have some wondering questions. I wonder, do we dare to imagine Experiencing joy, like savouring it, really drawing our strength from it. Do we dare to imagine experiencing joy, not as a luxury, not as something that we can let ourselves taste when everything's sorted out, but do we dare to imagine experiencing and savouring moments of joy as the powerhouse of God's compassion, as a taste of God's unfolding kingdom. So could we let ourselves experience joy and savour it? Next wondering question. I wonder how each of us might practice being open to divine joy. So actually being open enough within our inner life to be open to receiving joy. How might we cultivate the practice of knowing that it's okay for us to feel joy amidst the sorrow. Not that it cancels out the sorrow, but to lean into the goodness of joy and the healing power of joy. And I I use that language of practice quite intentionally. There's heaps of research emerging within the field of neuroscience about the way in which our brains fall into habits of thinking and in order to change that we need to make a practice of various habits so I want to just offer a couple of examples of how we might want to practice being open to divine joy so it's not the same as saying this practice will make you happy but about cultivating an inner openness to receiving joy so one um, incredibly ancient way of doing this is drawing a phrase from a psalm and committing it to heart and saying it, saying it to yourself, reciting it to yourself. It might be in moments of stress. It might be just as you go for a walk. It might be as you have a cup of tea. We hear in the Passion narratives about Jesus, quoting from the Psalms, these have been prayers for thousands of years, giving voice to longings for God. And in the Psalm we share today, in Psalm 16, there are beautiful phrases that you might want to make your own. One of them is, In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Imagine that being something that you can take with you in your day or if you're finding it hard to sleep or out for a walk. In your presence there is fullness of joy. About cultivating that openness. Another practice which... I think can sound a little bit glib, but again, the neuroscience is showing how powerfully impactful this can be, this practice, is actually writing down three things that you're grateful for each day. Not only is it intriguing to me that this is part of Christian practice and Jewish Christian practice for so long about um, practicing gratitude, you know, our praise and thanks to God, But the neuroscience is now indicating that this is one of the ways we actually change the patterns in our brains because our brains love things that are familiar. So if we are used to only seeing the negative, then our brains will, before we recognize anything else, will see patterns in finding more negative things. And if we can practice gratitude, it changes our brains, it changes our thought patterns so that we then begin to recognize other things that we're grateful for our brains love the familiar so if you practice gratitude you'll recognize more and more things that you're grateful for i'm not saying that will guarantee you'll feel joyful but it will i think create and cultivate an openness to receive joy there might be you might be a really visual person so it might be helpful to find an image of the risen Jesus or the feasting Jesus or the nourishing Jesus the resting Jesus Jesus's mother hen an image that is a joyful image for you of Jesus and to have that up in your prayer space or in your bedroom or in your kitchen to again cultivate that openness to joy not discounting the tears not discounting the stress But to bring another note into the symphony of your life. Talking of music, it might be practicing listening to joyful music. Making that actually a practice. Because music does something to us on an astounding number of levels. Including in our brains, but in our spirits as well. So making a practice of listening to joyful music each day. And it might be having a prayer word. Simply the word shalom, which means peace, or Jesus, or joy as a prayer word that you can come back to in moments of stillness or moments of stress. So this question of how we might practice being open to divine joy, you might want to take into your week and journal about and reflect some more and think about ways you might want to take on a new practice or to deepen an existing practice in your life a word of warning though i think it takes real vulnerability to be open to joy it is so easy to be cynical and it's a way of getting great laughs from others and looking cool to actually expose ourselves to seeking joy and then tasting joy is a really courageous thing And it can really run against our assumptions that if if we're joy running and then get hurt and let down, like to actually have the vulnerability of noticing joy and savouring it is incredibly courageous. The other word of warning about that is even if we do this, there'll be times when we're doing all these practices and we're feeling nothing. We're feeling no joy, no gift from God. Instead, we're feeling the experience of the absence of God and God's presence. Like Thomas did. And that's okay. Part of being inhuman is that there are times of consolation and great joy and there are times of desolation where we feel the absence of God. And as we see in the risen Jesus meeting Thomas, ours is the God who will meet us at that place of absence, not in judging or condemning. But will meet us. But sometimes those periods of experiencing the absence of God can be long. So don't lose heart. You're not failing at the joy test. We're much more cyclical as humans than linear. Things don't go always on an upward. We cycle in and out of awareness. But at all times, we are beloved children of God. So this week. I pray for each one of you that there will be moments where you taste joy and that you let yourself savour that joy, the joy that is a gift of God, that is not bound by circumstances, that is not earned, that is simply received and savoured. You might like to pause and to journal or paint or discuss this further with those who you're sharing this time with and you might like to play some music there are some suggestions on the website i love handle and the over the top joy the euphoric music you might want to stand up and play the hallelujah chorus i've also suggested another piece of instrumental music by max richter contemporary composer and he revisions Vivaldi's work. And this, for those who are um, purists, this might be abhorrent. <laughs> I apologize. But I adore this. This Max Richter's reworking of Vivaldi's Spring. I think it's breathtaking. And to me, speaks of such beautiful joy. We're going to pray. All around the world, uh, these prayers are often called prayers of confession and we call them prayers of letting go at Richmond Uniting because the word in the New Testament for forgive, a phaio, it literally means let go or release and it would be the same word that you would use for releasing a captive. And even though notions of confession have been misused in the church, this is not some random guilt trip where the minister or priest makes you feel guilty. It's actually an invitation to all of us to become aware of what is binding us up. And this invitation keeps coming around week by week because each week as humans we get twisted up about different things and we continue to need God's freeing, liberating love and insight. So that's why this pattern of prayer is here. So I invite us to pray together. Holy One, Sacred Three, ground of our being, water of life, fire of truth, you call us into your joy. You call us into your peace. You call us into your love, loving you and loving our neighbours and loving ourselves where we are afraid of joy please release us from that fear where we are bound up in narratives of despair and habits of seeing only the bad please set us free where we are twisted up by envy or pride so that there is no room for love please ransom us so that your joy and peace and love can grow up in us for our healing and so that we can work with you for the healing of our beautiful broken world In the silence, we tell you our truth. Christ, our joy, and our healer, we pray. Amen. St. Paul says this, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to God's self, and not counting our trespasses against us, and trusting to us The message of reconciliation. So friends, hear Christ's word of grace to every single one of us. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. We're gonna pray for our beautiful broken, hurting, celebrating joyful, tear-stained global village. And as we pray, you might like to imagine the light of Christ radiating from us to all those that we'll be praying for. Knowing that God's already at work. God's already strengthening those on the front lines. God is already helping the prophets and poets and artists to imagine new ways that we could live in harmony together and with the earth let us join our yearnings with God's yearnings let's be conduits for grace tender God our mother and our father we pray for those providing food security For all the soup kitchens, community pantries who are trying to make sure that people have enough to eat while observing all the safety decisions, all the social distancing. We pray for people experiencing homelessness right now. That lasting housing will be found that policies will change so that those with the least can find shelter and the supports they need to step into newness of life we give thanks for recent changes in policy so that those who are on the lowest support levels are soon going to to receive more so that they can live with some dignity with enough food and shelter We pray for those who are unsafe at home, that they can find the supports they need. We give thanks for more supports coming in. And we pray that wise companions will be found, trustworthy people to journey with into new hope, into new beginnings. pray for those who are consumed by hate and violence, that they will be called to account, that they will be changed. We pray for those who are experiencing no joy, who are so lonely or sad. Somehow this day may they catch a glimpse of your love for them, the sense of the kingdom, the promise that all be well, and may a friend come along, dear God. May we be open to being that friend. We pray for scientists and medical staff, cleaners in hospitals, all these people on the front line, Kinder teachers, Those working in disability sectors and aged care, steady their hands, give wisdom to the decisions made in these places as we seek to stop the spread of this virus, dear God. We pray for those who are gravely ill right now, for those who are dying, and especially those who are terrified of dying. May your love come around them like a mantle, breathing some peace, bringing some healing. And we pray for those on our hearts, naming them aloud or within. of these people encounter your love, sweet Jesus. May a hint of your joy be birthed and grow up in them and among them and in us and among those we share our lives with. Through Jesus, the joy maker, we pray. Amen. like to invite us into praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Today is another version of the Lord's Prayer that we often use at Richmond Uniting, written by Jim Cotter, Episcopalian priest, and it speaks incredibly of joy. Abba, our Father, Alma, our Mother, Beloved, our God, Creator of all, your name be held holy. Your domain spread among us. Your wisdom be our guide. Your way be our path. Your will be done well. In all times, in all places, on earth as in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. The manner of your promise. The bread of your tomorrow. As we release those indebted to us. So forgive us our debts, our trespass on others. Fill us with courage in times of our testing. Spare us from trials too severe to endure. Free us from the grip of the powers that bind. For yours is the goodness in which evil dissolves. Yours is the joy that sounds through the pain. Yours is a life that swallows up death. Yours is the glory, the transfiguring light, the victory of love for time and eternity, for age after age, so be it. Amen. There may be a multitude of songs that come to mind that speak of joy to you. Music is always so personal. I really adore this song from South Africa and it's in Together in Song. Hallelujah. All our hearts are filled with gladness. Enjoy singing. You might even want to get up and dance. You might want to make this song or another song of joy part of your week. A final blessing before we go. Friends, in Christ Jesus we encounter divine reality. Love is stronger than fear forgiveness is more powerful than all our pain and joy is gift from god amidst the tears so go with god's tender blessing holy mystery holy wisdom holy flame enfolding you infusing you and emboldening you for compassion in the name of christ alpha and omega our joy Amen.